And uh, for the rest of you, open your Bible, turn on your Bible app. We're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians today, starting uh, in verse 1 of chapter 14. So uh, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, we have a lot of ground to cover today. There are 40 verses in this chapter. Quick caveat, I'm not going to be able to cover them all in great detail, but we will come back to this very same chapter in multiple sermons in the fall. So uh, just rest at ease that if, uh, you know, you don't get everything you hope for, um, you know, number one, that probably happens every Sunday. Uh, but number two, we will be coming back to these uh, passages in the fall. But uh, as, you, as you turn there, uh, I want to uh, help us think about how God has created us with desires, all right? God, God made us. Part of our humanity is we are creatures of desire. God actually wants us to want things in life. Most of all, as we are going to see clearly today, he wants us to want him. But we see how we are made with desires from really the very moments of our, uh, you know, day beginning where uh, we sometimes either desire to, you know, tackle the day or hit the snooze button. Anyone? Did anyone do that this morning, by the way? Yeah. I knew, I don't, it's okay to tell the truth in church. That's right. So it's like, you know, sometimes we just, we just like... I just desire a few more minutes of sleep. I'm a little extra tired. And before I, you know, get up to attack today, I just need a little more rest. I want a little more rest. You know, uh, our desires control everything uh, down to, you know, uh, whether or not we brush our teeth. Did I, did I, okay, never mind. Um, or uh, like what we wear. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, I, made a, I made some choices today. I actually wanted to wear my Nikes. And there's a chance that my wife would have wished that I wanted to wear my brown boots because she thinks I look better in my brown boots. But I just needed to wear my tennis shoes today and move around a bit on Pentecost Sunday. Right? So, I mean, we, we get how this works, right? There, there are desires that we have pertaining to the things we do, the things we eat, the people we hang out with, uh, the, the responsibilities that we fulfill. God has made us creatures of desire. I want to praise God for just a moment that 100% of us in the room, even the people from California here at Medford High School and online, 100% of us desire that the Boston Celtics win another game tonight in game two of the NBA Finals. That's right. I had to work it in. Sorry. It's the NBA Finals. We haven't been in the Finals since 2010. Haven't won the championships since 2008. So I'm going to work the Celtics in just for a little second into the sermon. That's right. Um, so, so listen, we, we, we all desire. The question is not how frequently we desire, but what our hearts chase after. And what Paul is going to, to speak to us today, uh, beginning with the very opening verse, as he gives us these final instructions on the spiritual gifts, he is going to command the Corinthians and consequently command us to pursue love, the love that he just talked about in chapter 13, and to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And so Paul wants them and he wants us to want the spiritual gifts. And this, this word desire and to earnestly desire, uh, it, it's not simply to want something with a strong 
feeling, but it's to want it with a deep sense of earnestness or eagerness. The, the Greek word here is zelute, which you hear the word zealous. It's to, to zealously want something. Uh, to, it can even be translated to be jealous for or to strive after. And there are some, hopefully, some things in your life that you've been zealous for, that you've been passionate about, that when you have a, a passion or a zeal for something, you have such an intense focus. You are locked in. When you think about it, when you're able to talk about it with others, there's like this contagious joy that just overflows from your life because you are so locked in on that thing that you want or desire or think about the most. And so Paul tells us, not just once actually, but at the end of chapter 12, he said to earnestly desire, eagerly desire. Here in verse 1 of chapter 14, he says to earnestly desire. And as we're going to see at the end of the chapter, in verse 39, he says it yet again, to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that we would prophesy. So the question I have for you this morning is simply this, how great is your desire. How great is your desire. Over the past six weeks here in our Same God series on the spiritual gifts, we've seen how God empowers us with supernatural abilities to serve other people for the common good. And as we serve with gifts like mercy and hospitality and administration and teaching and leadership and healing, and the list goes on, uh, we are positioning ourselves to strengthen the people around us, encourage the people around us, and point them to Jesus as we serve them with God's love. And so the question again is, to what degree are we doing so. To what degree, I want to ask you this morning in your life right now to begin 2022 as you envision moving forward over the next seven months of this year, uh, how, how greatly are you walking in the works that God has actually prepared beforehand that you would step out and walk in them? We all have an amazing opportunity before us day by day as we walk with Jesus to serve others through our spiritual gifts. So Paul, from this chapter, would invite us to earnestly desire all God wants to do through you. Earnestly desire all that God wants to do through you. Now, as we jump into chapter 14, we are going to see that Paul spends considerable time focusing on two gifts, all right? Prophecy and tongues. And the reason for this, he's already hinted at this in chapter 12, and then he's hinted again in chapter 13, and which is why he says you need to have love fill your hearts and to do everything that you do in love because the Corinthians weren't always practicing the gifts, particularly the gifts of tongues in a loving way. They were selfish about it. They were just looking for their opportunity to, to speak or to show off or whatever. And they weren't considering the people around them or what would be most beneficial for everyone else. 
And so Paul gives us some words here that I believe reflect some words from our freshly written statement on uh, the spiritual gifts. I just want to read a little portion of that uh, for you where where we address some of the the different errors of, of how churches can respond on each end of the spectrum. Some denying that these gifts even exist, but others uh, practicing them in unhealthy manners. So this is just a portion of what we've written together as, as pastors and as a team. It says this, a, a careful reading of scripture concerning God's design and intended use of spiritual gifts should recognize and avoid two common errors. One position claims miraculous gifts such as prophecy, healing, and tongues are no longer available for today's church. Another places an unhealthy emphasis on spiritual gifts, with some claiming certain gifts like tongues provide evidence of a person's salvation and maturity in Christ. And then we just simply say, given the weight of biblical evidence and church history, we reject both of these positions. So just as a precursor to what I'm about to share, and if this is new for you, and you're like, by the way, if you are new, uh, you're like, man, I came on the Sunday when they are talking about speaking in tongues. Like, this is really the, 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 the first sermon of this kind of length and focus that we've ever preached on tongues at Redemption Hill. So just know that God must have wanted you to be here to learn a little something about these spiritual gifts. Uh, but, but, but as we uh, read these first 25 verses, you're going to see why we would craft a statement that would say uh, that type of thing, that we want to avoid these two commoners. We want to believe what the Bible says, that all gifts are for today, but we want to practice them in a very biblical way careful manner. That's what we're after as a church and as individual followers of Christ. So follow along, a little bit of, uh, you know, length here, but let's pay attention carefully as I read the first 25 verses. This is what Paul writes. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? There are doubtless many different languages in the world. But none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. 
So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also, what we just did. Otherwise, if you, can, if you give thanks with your spirit, how will anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say, you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare, God is really among you. The first truth I want to give you uh, that summarizes these 25 verses, it comes in the form of an encouragement, is this, that we should desire to strengthen people through the gifts, especially prophecy, all right? Desire to strengthen people through the gifts, especially prophecy. Now, we talked about how Paul says three times, earnestly desire, but we should back up and say, okay, what does it mean? What would it look like to earnestly desire spiritual gifts? He says the spiritual gifts. He doesn't just say tongues. He doesn't just say prophecy. Um, but any and all spiritual gifts that, that God would want us to possess and to walk in to serve people with, what would it look like to earnestly desire those? And I hope you're paying attention because this is going to be so important as you move forward in your walk with Christ. So, so number one, we know that God, when he gives us his spirit, he gives us at least a gift, likely multiple gifts, and sometimes it takes us a while as we walk with others and we serve to understand what those gifts are. Uh, but clearly Paul is implying here that there are gifts that we can receive even after we are saved and come to faith in Christ. So, so what would it look like to earnestly desire these? Well, first, we pray and we ask, God, would you fill me with all of the gifts that you want to get? Maybe there's a gift that God puts on your heart that you just would really love to serve with and, and you desire that. Listen, it is okay to ask God for specific gifts. And not only to ask 
God for specific gifts, but to even to do that with other people. I don't know about you, but when I really want to see God do something, I usually don't keep it to myself. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll, I'll call up my, the people in my community group. I'll definitely let you know, my wife, Marcia, know. And some of the, the friends that are closest to me uh, that, 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 that I know I can count on when I need something, I'll say, hey, will you pray for X, Y, and Z? And so if we earnestly desire, we will not only pray, we will invite other people to pray with us. But then also uh, to to earnestly desire would probably look like learning more, reading more about the particular gift that you desire, uh, listening to sermons like these and to study so that we understand what it is we actually desire. But then this is one that I, I think is so important because this is where I think for a lot of us, um, God has already gifted us in some ways, and we would discover them if we would just actually step out. Glad I got my Nikes on. All right. If we would just step out and serve in these ways. I mean, so just very practically, like, how would you know that God gave you the gift of healing if you never went up to someone who was sick and prayed that they would be healed? You just like how would you how would you know if you have the gift to teach people from scripture and explain God's word if you never attempted to teach? Which which listen, I know we kind of get you know scared and it's like we're we're intimidated or we think less of ourselves and so we we don't step out for whatever reason, or maybe we just don't want to like mess things up or blow it or whatever. But but listen, we all have to start somewhere, right? I mean, it's like when you teach your kids how to ride a bike, what do you, you give them training wheels, right? So, so it's okay just to step out and to do your best and to see that, wait, oh, that was okay. Like, it was not great at first. Then it was okay. Then it was like, oh, that was kind of beneficial. And then it's like, no, that was benefiting several people. And it's like, all of a sudden, wow, maybe God has gifted me in this way. But we have to step out and serve in these various ways. And then I would say, don't stop. Listen, persevere. Be like the persistent widow of Luke 18 when she just annoyed. Jesus is saying, annoy heaven with your prayers. Keep asking and seeking, knocking. Do not give up if you desire a particular spiritual gift. But the underlying note here, I believe, is this. It is a life that would say, God, my life is yours. God, whatever you want to do in my life, through my life, God, wherever you want to send me, however you want me to serve, my life is in your hands. That's what it looks like to earnestly desire. And as we already said, but it's too important to not say again, all of this should be motivated and characterized by love. This is why Paul spends an entire chapter in relation to the spiritual gifts on love. If we have not love, we might as well sit down and just really be quiet. Like just not even, because love has to motivate everything we do if it is to truly represent God. So Paul closes verse 1 by saying, as you earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, you should especially desire that you prophesy. And here Paul is contrasting the gift of prophecy with the gift of tongues. Again, he's spending time on this because this was an issue in the church of Corinth. Uh, There were people who were practicing the gifts in unloving ways. So Paul has to come behind and say, hey, this is what you need to understand about tongues and prophecy. And we uh, learn a lot about them from verses 2 through 5. So first what I want to do is this. I want to define 
tongues and prophecy, and then I want to show you how they are different. All right? So number one, we've shared these before, but tongues involve speaking a language that is unknown to the one who is speaking. And we see this in a number of ways, uh, at least three in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, what was going on was God gave the men and women in the upper room, roughly 120 of them were gathered, and it, it seems, I mean, we can't be sure, but it seems like probably all of them were going out and speaking in tongues. And it says that they were speaking actual languages that were understandable to people. It says that people from, from uh, you know, the Medes and the Parthians and the Egyptians, they were all hearing the wonders of God and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. So I have never experienced this before, but I've heard reports from missionaries where God has given the gifts of tongues and people who speak a different language than the missionary understand what they are saying about Jesus. And this is still happening today. But that is not the kind of language Paul is talking about here of the Spirit. Paul is talking about a, a language that uh, is, is inspired by the Spirit that is not another human language. He's, he's saying that uh, when, when a speaker uh, speaks this type of language... It is a language that no one understands. That's why he uses the word mysteries. That is, no one understands except God. So, so primarily, um, tongues uh, often are directed to God, and they can be exercised in private prayer or private singing between a person and God. But then there are also times, so that's the second type of tongue. The third type of tongue is a, a tongue that is not intelligible or understandable uh, to any other human language, uh, but it is not directed toward God, but it is directed toward people. And if it is directed toward people, then there needs to be an interpreter. There needs to be someone there who can interpret what is being said for the benefit of someone else. So that's tongues. Now, prophecy. Prophecy is speaking a message given spontaneously from God. And when prophecies are spoken, the words are understandable and they give uh, instruction and information about a person or a group of people's uh, life in either the past, present, or future. So sometimes we hear the word prophecy and we think only like, oh, this is like crystal ball stuff. This is all predictive. And certainly there can be an element of that. No doubt we see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament. But that's not the majority of prophecy that we find is, is God giving messages for either the present moment or even what has happened in the past. Where it's like God is showing you. He knows your story. He cares about your story. And he is calling you into his path. And so that's, that's a, a little definition and description of tongues and prophecy. But let's think about how they are distinguished. We see here first that tongues, again, are most often, most often directed to God. This is what verse 2 says. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. Sam Storms, uh, in his book, the, the Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, says this. Tongues, whether spoken or sung, are fundamentally worship and intercession. 
even when interpreted in a public gathering, tongue speech is God-oriented. But then we, we see that if, if a tongue is directed toward people, there must be an interpreter. This is made plain in verse 5, verse 13, verse 27, and verse 28. But, but prophecy is always directed toward people. That's what Paul says in verse 3. Let's read it together. He says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation or their comfort. So, so that's, that's the direction of tongues and prophecy, but, but what is the purpose? Paul says that the primary purpose of tongues, at least if that tongue is directed only to God, is to actually build up the person who is speaking in tongues, who is praying in tongues, or who is singing in tongues, who is worshiping and interceding before God in a language that they don't understand. And I know that may cause some of you to just like, wait, let's step back for a minute. I thought that I was only taught that spiritual gifts were just for the building up of other people. So is it really true that a tongue, a spiritual gift, could be given to build up the person who is exercising the gift? And that's clearly what Paul is saying, but let me give you just a few categories of why this is so true. Think about it both theologically and biblically as well as practically. Number one, theologically, let's just ask the question, would anything God leads us to do fail to bring a blessing? I mean, I mean, it's like if God has given you a gift and he's given it to you to exercise that gift, would we not expect that it would bring a blessing to us as we walk out that gift? Or if spiritual gifts are the spirit inside of us empowering us and strengthening us like do we think that that's going to somehow like bring like a destructive presence in our life rather than building us up as we, as we serve? So that's, that's theological. But then biblically, uh, this is implied all throughout the Bible, but it's made explicit in Jude verse 20 when it says this, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Did you hear that? Building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. So, so not only is like self-edification permissible, it's actually commanded here. Like we should be building ourselves up. Like why, why else do you like read the Bible? Why else do you listen to sermons? Why else do you worship God in the private, right? It's like, of course, yeah, you want to be built up for other people to strengthen and to serve other people, but there's obviously an element where God wants to pour himself into you and strengthen you. And not only do we know this theologically and biblically, we also know this practically. This is our experience. Listen, when, when I preach, I am breathing. I love, I love to do what God has called me to do and assigned for me to do. When I get to encourage someone, I get encouraged when I encourage them, whether or not they're encouraged. Now, I hope that they're more encouraged than I'm encouraged, but that's just how it works, right? Like when, when you, if you have the gift of serving, if you have the gift of mercy, your heart beats to go into tough places and to minister to people who are hurting, right? And that brings you life. That makes your heart beat a little faster. So the, the gifts are or yes, for uh, self-edification, particularly the gift of tongues when it's directed to God, but then also 
Paul's greatest concern, which should be our greatest concern, is that they bring benefit and life to other people. This is so clear, which is why our mind goes to the purpose of gifts being to strengthen others and build others up. Because Paul says it in verses 3 through 6. He says it in verse 12. He says it in verse 17. He says it in verse 19. And then the key verse, verse 26, where he says, let all things be done for building up. God gives us gifts so that other people can be strengthened in their And let's be clear here, as Paul describes this this distinction between tongues and prophecy, okay, he he is not saying that tongues are unimportant. The apostle Paul would not demean one of God's good gifts, but he says unless there's an interpreter, the greater gift in the context of public worship when the church comes together is not tongues between you and God, but prophecy that will encourage the people around you. And then in verses 6 through 12, he provides some examples to make his point, all right? He, he, he restates his thesis in verse 6 when he says, now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? That's what the gifts do, unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. And then he goes on to give examples. He first, in verse 7, talks about the flute and the harp. All right, we could add other instruments to this, just to insert your favorite instrument. Like the purpose of an instrument is to play distinct notes. Thank you, Pedro and team up here, leading us with distinct notes and chords. So we're all harmoniously singing together, right? And so the purpose of an instrument is to play distinct notes. And if it's not, then no one knows how to respond to that sound. Uh, The same thing is Uh, found in a bugle on a battlefield where, you know, there weren't these modern communication devices where you get walkie-talkie or, you know, uh, punch in some code on some. I don't even know what the military has these days. There's probably no telling what. But, you know, like they just had to blow a horn, a bugle. And some sounds meant let's advance. Some sounds meant let's retreat. And there had to be a distinct sound so that people knew how to respond. Also, Human languages. Listen, I I respect and honor all of you who can speak multiple languages. I have tried to speak multiple languages, and I have failed miserably. It's hard, right? It takes so much time and effort and dedication to learn a language with with fluency. Uh, And and, and Paul uses this as an example as well. He's saying, look, if if two people come together who speak different languages, they're not going to be able to understand one another. And Paul is using all of these examples to say, this is why there, number one, has to be an interpreter. And if there is not, just keep silent because you're not going to be building up the people around you. And then in verses 13 to 19, we learn a, a bit more about tongues. It says in verses uh, 13 and then 16 and, 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 and 17 that If we speak in a tongue directed toward others, we should pray for the gift of interpretation or we should not speak if there is not someone who can interpret what we are saying. And then he he goes on and he says, look, and this this kind of blows our Western minds where we're so rationalistic, where where everything uh, has to be uh, so understood and logical and the dots have to all connect in our minds. He says that God can actually strengthen our souls even when our minds don't understand what is happening or what is going on. 
Paul believed that it was absolutely necessary for an experience to be, it was not absolutely necessary for an experience to be rationally cognitive for it to be spiritually beneficial and glorifying to God. And as I was thinking about this just in like our everyday lives, I mean, do you, do you ever listen to like instrumental music and it just kind of like encourages your soul? It's like there's no, there's no lyrics to it. It's just like, but there's, it's doing something to the inside of you, encouraging, getting, bringing peace to uh, your life. And then once again, Paul just says here at the end, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more of all of you. And this kind of just makes me laugh when I think about what Paul is doing. Okay, we could read this as kind of like smack talk. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, Corinthians, you guys think you're so great? Well, guess what? I speak in tongues more than all of you. And I don't think that's what Paul is doing here, okay? He, he's probably being honest that he probably did have a higher measure of the gift of tongues than all of the Corinthians, maybe all of the Corinthians combined, who knows. But he's also, I think, expressing the measure of his gratitude. That he's saying, listen, you, you're so concerned about tongues. I love tongues. I'm so thankful that God has given me the gift of tongues. And I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. This is a gift that we should treasure, and yet we should practice it in a way that is constructive and loving to everyone that we are with. And so Paul then goes on in verses 20 through 25, and he talks about the, the power of prophecy. And he says that it's through prophecy that people can be convicted of where they are before God. And as God shows them how much he knows them, how much he loves them, how much he cares about them, how much he wants them to follow his path, that often someone from the outside, someone yet to believe in Jesus, will have their mind blown first, right? And, and will be amazed and say, like, you didn't know that about me, but God must be real. He must be communicating through you, and I must need to follow this God. This is, this is what Paul says as he wraps up verses 24 and 25. He says, uh, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is our prayer that as not only we prophesy to share messages that God gives us for one another, that there will even be times, whether in a church gathering or out in the community, where God gives you a little supernatural information for the person that you're hanging out with, and you just share in a loving way what that word is, and they're just so taken back that they say, I, I need to learn more about this Jesus. I, I need to give my life to Jesus in the way that you have given your life to Jesus. So prophecy not only builds up the church, but it, it helps add to the church. It helps those yet to believe to believe in Jesus Christ. So, so as we see here, anytime we're sharing a prophetic word, ultimately we want to point people to Christ. That's what was happening on the day of Pentecost as they were prophesying, receiving this, these tongues and, and sharing these messages spontaneously with the people that people were discovering who Jesus is and they were choosing to follow him, even 3,000 of them on that first day of 
Pentecost. And so let's have faith for it. Listen, let's have faith that as we desire to strengthen others through the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, that the same God is working in these same ways today. But then, number two, my second encouragement for you uh, is this. Practice spiritual gifts according to Scripture. Practice spiritual gifts according to Scripture, especially in worship. All right? What, what Paul is addressing here, again, is the church gathered, not just isolated Christians doing their thing as they're, you know, at work and at the marketplace or whatever, but he's addressing, like, what we're doing right now in a corporate gathering or so relevant for, like, our small group gatherings uh, that happen through uh, the week on different nights. And so let's read these final verses together, verses 26 through 40. This is what Paul writes. What then, brothers? When he says, brothers, he is referring to brothers and sisters. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. This shows us what life was like in the early church. He says, let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only one, uh, only two, or at most three. And each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Before you stop listening to the rest of what Paul says, just know that I am going to cover this in great detail in the fall, but not today. All right, not today. Sorry, I know you're disappointed, but uh, there's not time for that today. It's not the focus of the chapter. Now verse 36. Hope you're still paying attention. <laughs> or was it from you? This is what Paul's just like, lean in and, and listen to what I'm saying and put it into practice. He says with just this rhetorical punch. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am saying and writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. What I want to do here is just highlight a few of the principles for speaking in tongues in church and prophesying in church, but then also get to some practical encouragements about receiving and sharing a prophetic word. So what we have here in verse 26, this is probably the clearest description of what life was like in the early church when believers would most likely come together in house churches, all right? This would have been the location. Most of them did not, uh, you know, worship even in spaces like this, but they were meeting in homes. 
And, and I love how it shows us that even on Sunday mornings, but especially when we come to a small group and we all have more of an opportunity uh, to share, with the, the, the idea is that we're all coming, listen, not to just spectate and receive, but we are coming to participate and to give. So we, we bring in a hymn. We're bringing something that God taught us. Maybe God showed us something special for the rest of the group. And we're a word of encouragement. And we're coming to give to the people around us. This is why it just is so sometimes frustrating when we have the attitude. It's like, well, I didn't get anything out of that. And, you know, well, that church this and that small group that. And it's like, wait just a second. Like, is this all about you or is this all about us? It's us. So we all bring something. We all have something to give. We participate. This is what was happening in the life of the church. Sadly, though, it wasn't happening in the ways that it should have always happened. And so Paul lays out these principles for tongues. He says, first, if any speak in a tongue. And just stop right there and consider. He, he says, if any speak in a tongue. What he's implying is not every time that believers get together are people going to speak in tongues. But if they do, here's the stipulation. There needs to be an interpreter. He says that only two or at most three in a gathering should speak. They should speak one at a time. And if there's not an interpreter there present, then they should keep silent and just pray and sing in tongues to God. Some of you probably have attended churches where these principles were broken. And I just want to say, we, we sometimes, it's like, one bad thing or one unhealthy thing is like, oh, what a horrible church. And that's not the, the attitude that we want to have about other churches, even the churches that we've experienced, right? I, I don't love everything about the churches that I grew up in or that I attended through the years. I don't even love everything about our church. I mean, sorry to let you know that, but like there are some things that can be better, right, Pastor Reddy, but Pastor John? So, but that doesn't mean that everything was bad. That doesn't mean that they didn't love Jesus. That doesn't mean that God wasn't doing good things in that church. But if there are churches that are practicing tongues in these ways that are contrary to what the Bible says, then they need to come back to what the principles of Scripture are and practice accordingly. So this is for public worship, but no matter the context, whether we're in you know, a prayer night or a worship night or a small group, wherever we are, these principles should guide us. And then he gives principles for prophecy. I'm going to cover these quickly. In verse 29, he says, limit the number of prophetic revelations, especially to give space for people to weigh what is said. In other words, to think about and consider what is being shared. In, in 31 and uh, 30 and 31, he says, speak one by one so that you eliminate confusion and you maximize learning and encouragement. And then finally, he says, practice humble mutual submission so that worship is orderly and peaceful. But you would say, okay, Pastor Tanner, if, if, if we are to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that we would prophesy, it's like, I didn't even maybe believe that prophecy was for today until the last few weeks. And like, how do I even seek to go about this? How would I know if God has given me this gift? I just want to give you a few pointers and helps. This isn't the end of the story, but hopefully this will help get us started, right? So number one, I think this is so important. Prophesying starts with hearing God's voice. And we've talked about this, how 
God is our good shepherd, and he is continuing to speak to us day by day as he leads us, and we want to cultivate ears and hearts that hear his voice, just like we know the voices of our closest friends, our family, our parents, where we know when God is speaking to us, when he's whispering or prompting us in a direction, we know that's not my thought, that's certainly not the thought, uh, a thought that comes from the evil one, but that is God's voice leading me on my way. And if you have questions about this, if you want more on that, I preached two sermons in the past year on that. June last year, Tools for Hearing God's Voice from John chapter 10. And then just a couple of months ago from John 16, he will speak. So go and listen to those uh, sermons and learn more about how to grow in hearing God's voice. But then don't, don't miss this connection. As we grow to hear God's voice personally, it's going to help us hear God's voice for other people. Right, and that's what prophet, prophecy is, speaking a message given spontaneously to God, by, from God for the sake of others. And so that is, that is step one, hearing God's voice. And, and we've given this tool before that we borrowed from Vox Church in Connecticut. And we want to develop an ear to hear. This is an acronym, expect, ask, and revere. Expect, ask, and revere. E-A-R, right, that's ear. Okay, so expect. We want to expect that God is still speaking to us. That yes, he has spoken uh, so uh, completely and truly in his word. We have everything we need for life and godliness. But that doesn't mean that, that there aren't times in our lives just throughout our day where God is nudging us in a direction to practically apply the truths and the principles of what he has already told us in his word. I like what Jordan Singh says about this. He says, if you are relating to a supernatural being, who believes that God is a supernatural being? That's right, he sure is. If you are relating to a supernatural being, then you should probably expect to have supernatural conversations with him. The Bible makes this pretty clear. I agree. But then we not only expect that God would speak to us, but we ask. We ask God to speak to us. I mean, when you sit with God, it's, it's not just, hopefully, you doing all of the talking. I mean, I don't know how that works in your human relationships, but my assumption is it doesn't work out so well. Am I right? So, so like, we want to give space to sit and to listen. God is really good with us asking specific questions. Uh, maybe it's directional. Maybe it's just clarifying. Maybe we just need a word of encouragement from God. And we ask him, hey, what do you think about this? Or this thing going on in my life, what do you want to say to me, God? And we just sit patiently and listen. And even if we don't, you know, hear something in those first initial moments, we keep our antennas up as we move throughout our day or through our week. So we expect, we ask, and then we revere. And what revere just means that we revere God. We have such a reverence for God that whatever he says goes, and we are ready to obey and to step in to everything that he shares with us. So that, that is receiving a prophetic word. We need to hear from God in order to be able to share with others. But then how do we share a prophetic word? Well, we want to share with love and humility. Please do not go up to someone and say these words. God told me to tell you. All right, that's just like, I'm just, that's a little too heavy, all right? You're, you're not Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Jesus. Okay, so just like, just kind of tone it down a little bit and, and say something like this. I, I, I sense that God wants me to share with you. Or, or as I was praying for you, I just, I believe there are some things that God put on my heart that, that uh, he would like for me to share with you. 
So that, that's humble, and it puts them in a posture of not overwhelmingness, nor in a posture that would say, I'm just going to have to accept whatever you say, right? That's where people can really be spiritually abused by someone saying, hey, God told me this, and like, what, if God really said, then what, what option do we have, right? But what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 14, he says it in 1 Thessalonians 5, that we should weigh out what a prophet says, someone who is prophesying says to us. And so that's what we should do. We should encourage them to prayerfully consider what we share, to even talk about it with others, and point them to Jesus as we continue to pray for them and make ourselves available as God leads. So we've shared this before, but let me just quickly share. As we receive a word from someone else, and this was even happening at Fire Nights on Friday night. Um, what we want to do is we want to step back and we want to run it through five filters for discerning God's voice. What are those filters? They all begin with God. Number one, God's word. Does this align with scripture? Someone says something to you to do something that doesn't align with scripture. Okay, that was not from the Lord. All right, so don't listen. Just, you know, love them, forgive them. Uh, maybe they meant well, but um, they're not lined up with God's heart. So it has to align with God's word. Number two. It needs to bring us and others closer to Jesus. So God's word, God's son. Then number three, God's spirit. Does God's spirit affirm this in my spirit? Number four, God's people. What do wise Christians around me say about what has been shared with me? And then finally, number five, God's glory. Would this, would this instruction, would this encouragement, would this admonishment, would this word of comfort, would it bring glory to God if I stepped into it and lived it out? God's word, God's son, God's spirit, God's people, God's glory. And so this is just some encouragement to how we receive words from God, how we share them, and how we receive them from other people. But in all of this, listen, Paul concludes his thoughts by saying one more time at the end of the chapter, he says, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Again, we, we want to receive all that God wants to, to give us, but we want to practice them in a way that is consistent with Scripture and honors people and our great God. And so what I want to do is we, is we bring our time to a close. I know we've received a lot about tongues and prophecy, and it's a lot to absorb and to take in. But as we, as we bring not only today's sermon to a close, but as we bring this seven-week series on the gifts to a close, I want to ask you, this has to be more than information. This is about life transformation. How great is your desire for the spiritual gifts? Because if we, listen, think about this. If we desire the spiritual gifts, who are we really saying we desire? The Holy Spirit, right? Like the, this is God in us. This is God doing his work through us. And so today, maybe just today, you need to step into a time of prayer just to say, God, increase my desires. God, I want to, I want to walk in all that you have for me. I, want to, I know that Ephesians 2.10 says that you've prepared beforehand these great works that I should walk in them. 
And so maybe it's just, God, increase my desires. Maybe it's, God, I know you've gifted me in these ways, but, but there is, I know there is more for me. There are more ways that I can step out and serve the people around me. Listen, whatever that is, listen, God wants to fill you with his spirit. He wants to give you his power so that you serve the people around you with his love and his strength so that they will be encouraged and built up in their walk with God. And so what I want to do is this. I want to ask you just to close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to envision this picture with me of how we desire God to work in his empowering ways through an ordinary people known as Redemption Hill Church. Just envision this. God is doing something. The waves are coming. The waves are coming for this hour. What do we see? Waves of fire power climbing to a crest through the spirit inside our chest. Ready to break over and break through. Yes, ready to consume our ill-timed words and actions. Replacing them with his perfections. Hope for anxious despair, peace calming every care, justice conquering our hate, kindness you'd want to imitate. Rest for our hurry, forgiveness for every time they say, I'm sorry. Joy for the monotony, vision for all that's blinding me, waves of mercy, waves of grace, waves of love for every race. Can you see? Do not fear. Dry bones walk, dead men hear. The voice of life, the voice of Christ. God is doing something. The waves are coming. So fan the flame, then make a toast. Spread the news from coast to coast and everywhere throughout the land. This is the empowering presence of the great I. And so, God, we ask, we ask that we would have the faith. God, increase our faith to believe you are who you say you are. Lord, that you are all-powerful and that your presence now dwells within us through faith in Jesus Christ. God, that as you hold nothing back from us, Lord, that we would hold nothing back from you. God, help us to believe that there are works that you have prepared for us, that we're not going to wait for, you know, 2023 or 4 or 5 or whatever, but we are going to begin stepping into the works that you have called us to today, this afternoon, this week, this summer. Lord, we want to be a church full of people gifted by your spirit. Wherever where we go, God, you are doing your marvelous, even miraculous works through us, God. There are broken people who are hurting in our city. There are people who are discouraged that need words of encouragement. God, there are people who don't know who you are and they need to be told the story of the gospel. There are people who don't understand their word, your word and they need to be discipled. There are people who need to be led, God. There are people who need to step into serving. Lord, so whatever it is, God, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you so fill us up, Lord, that we are just following in step with you, just walking by your spirit day by day by day.
And so, God, we ask that you would do this. For the name of Jesus, for your glory, we pray in his name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And we're not going to rush this time of worship. In fact, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come down and uh, they're going to make themselves available. Just if, if there is something you want to pray for, even just something as simple as, God, increase my desire. Part of that may mean not just praying it yourself, but having someone else pray for you. Maybe there's a particular gift that you want to exercise with greater fruitfulness. Maybe there's a gift that you want to receive so you can bless others. Listen, whatever it is, however God leads you to pray and worship today, this team is ready to pray for you. Maybe you just have a request on your heart that you uh, want to share that's even unrelated to the gifts. That's fine. Come down and pray as we worship God and pour out our hearts before him, asking him to do a great work in us. So let's stand. Let's sing.